Hello, friends, and thanks again for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week is the third week of Advent season. Pastor Jen Zerby continued our Advent series and encouraged all of us to bring the light to others. Let us magnify the light of Jesus Christ. Remember, you can watch our live stream on YouTube that happens on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can find us online at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace, friends. Couldn't you just listen to that all day long? Gosh, all day long. So happy, so happy to have you play again this morning. I just can't get over how many (laughs) crazy gifted people we have in this little church. (laughs) Blows my mind. I'm so thankful. Do any of you remember um, when Coca-Cola used to have cocaine in it? <laughs> Did any of you thought I would start my Advent sermon that way? <laughs> Just to pull... None of us were really alive when they did that, I don't think, but, uh, but you remember hearing the stories about that, right? That Coca-Cola used to have cocaine in it? It's true. When it was invented in 1885, its original formula had extract from the coca leaf, which is the active ingredient in cocaine. At that time, cocaine was legal, and it was actually a, a common ingredient in, uh, in a whole bunch of medications. People thought that it was safe in small quantities. Whoopsie. The guy who invented Coca-Cola used to tell people that it cures headaches and upset stomach and fatigue. I'm, sh- I'm sure it did. Because, <laughs> you know, it had cocaine in it. They soon realized uh, that, that Coca-Cola, as well as some of the other medications, contained ingredients that were both terribly addictive and terribly harmful for people. And so they changed the recipe for Coca-Cola and took the Coke out of it. And then it was rebranded, ironically, as a soft drink, which was a good alternative to hard alcohol. It's quite a story. What about bubble wrap? How many of you love to play with bubble wrap? How many of you know what bubble wrap was actually initially intended for? Wallpaper. Like, I'm not kidding. There was an engineer from the United States and an engineer from Switzerland who were trying to come up with textured wallpaper, and that's how they came up with bubble wrap. Can you imagine having bubble wrap all over your house? (laughs) Could you imagine having bubble wrap all over your house when you have children? (laughs) Speaking of wallpaper, do you know what was originally marketed as the best best wallpaper cleaner out there? Who knew that? That was, that was, do you want to come up here? That was all kinds of impressive. That is correct, it was Play-Doh. They tried to market themselves as the world's best wallpaper cleaner, and when that did not work, it was rebranded like 20 years later by the uh, inventor's son, who marketed it then for kindergartners as a toy. (laughs) I wish I had a prize for you. I'll try to find one later. I suppose there are all kinds of things in this world that are not being used for its intended purpose. Maybe you have some things in your own home that are not being used for its intended purpose. Like maybe you have a book that's serving as a doorstop in your house. 
Or maybe you have one of those kitchen gadgets that you bought late at night online that you just had to have, but it's still sitting in the box completely unused in your kitchen cabinet somewhere. Some things like Play-Doh and bubble wrap are lucky enough to find another use that could be remarketed and rebranded, but what happens to us? What happens to us as human beings when we don't live our intended purpose? We talk about that a lot, don't we? What am I doing here? What's my purpose in life? What does my life matter? What's it all about? Well, this morning we are in week three of our Advent series, which is called Bearing the Light. We acknowledge that it has felt like a pretty dark time uh, these past couple of years. And, And this Advent, we really wanted to acknowledge and celebrate the promise of God's light entering into the world's darkness. And so in the first week, we talked about the difference between light and dark. We talked about some of the ways that we tend to walk in darkness, even as we convince ourselves that maybe it's not that bad. We talked about how our eyes will eventually adjust to the dark, which serves only to keep us in these spaces that we are not meant to live. And then last week, we talked about what it means to bask in the light that is Jesus. We said that when we bask in something, and we always bask in something, our jobs, our kids, our addictions, our hobbies, that that's what we, we just soak it in, and that we soak in whatever we are around the most, that whatever we hear the most is what we say the most. And so last week, we wondered together what it would be like to spend the rest of this Advent season purposefully basking in the person and in the things of God. And so I wonder how you did at that this week. But as you can probably guess, there's still more for us to talk about when it comes to the light of Christ. It's not just for us to notice. It's not just for us to bask in. We have a responsibility. We have a calling when it comes to the light of Christ. And it comes from this passage where Jesus spoke and he said what I believe to be one of the weirdest things he ever said. If you want to follow along with me, we're going to look at a super famous passage from the Gospel of Matthew It comes from Matthew chapter 5, which is Jesus' most famous teaching. It's the Sermon on the Mount. So he's already gone through all of these Beatitudes. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. First of all, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Because in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, which we'll talk more about on Christmas Eve, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. Now that makes sense to me. It makes sense to me that Jesus would call himself the light of the world. I get that. But then he turns around here in the Gospel of Matthew and he calls his followers, he calls us the same thing that he calls himself, which I find to be absurd. Why would Jesus do that? Well, there's a really uncomplicated answer to that question. It doesn't involve a lot of scholarly work. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew to understand it. But before I go further with that, it is worth noting here that what Jesus said in front of the people he said it, it would have made a whole bunch of people really mad. 
You see, Jesus had this pretty hodgepodge group of followers at this point, right? Pastor Bill talked earlier about the fact that Jesus tended to hang out with people that lots of other people didn't want to hang out with, people that that the culture just kind of tossed aside. And so for the first time ever here in this crowd, you've got different classes of people with different abilities and different disabilities, different social standings, different levels of being in and out of mainstream society, and they're all in this one group following this one man around. And among that crowd was a group of people called the Pharisees. Pastor Bill alluded to them as well. They were the super religious ones. They were the ones who knew all of the laws and all of the rules and all of the rituals and all of the regulations, and they felt like it was their job to make sure that everybody around them followed those things. That's all well and good for them, except the title of being the light of the world was already taken for them. You see, only their super famous, prominent, important rabbis were given the title of light of the world. So for them, it was already bad enough that Jesus came in telling people that he was the light of the world, but now he's staring at this group of scrappy nobodies, and he's calling them, us, the same thing that they called their most eminent rabbis. And they would have been furious to hear that. But isn't that just like Jesus? He just turns everything on its head. He rearranges all of the classes and all of the titles and all of the categories so that the first would be last and the last would be first. And he took all these things that they held so tightly to, all of their religious laws and all of their titles and all of their categories, and he scattered them to the wind, revealing their unimportance. As for what Jesus meant by calling himself the light of the world and then calling us the light of the world, it's simply what Jesus had been consistently saying his entire earthly ministry. Follow me. Be like me. Live like me. Reflect me. But he's also telling them and telling us that we are his plan for the world. How is the rest of the world ever going to know about Jesus? us. We are the light of the world. The thing that is fascinating about the way that Jesus addresses everyone here is that he isn't telling them that they should be the light, and he isn't telling them that they need to shine a little more brightly. He isn't telling them that with enough church attendance and enough hard work and enough prayer that they will one day be the light. He's telling them that right now they are the light all who have said yes to following Jesus. They already are the light. That moment that you believed that Jesus was the light, you yourself became a son and daughter, a son or daughter of the light. And this applies to all areas of our life. When, when, you feel, when life feels particularly confusing and difficult, let your light shine. When you are facing situations or problems that you aren't sure how to handle, let your light shine. When someone around you needs some really good news, let your light shine. This is the crazy, absurd, radical calling upon the people of God. And yet so many of us do not live out our intended purpose. So many of us live as the book being used as a doorstop. Some of us live as that kitchen novelty that's still wrapped up in the cabinets. 
So many of us walk around saying that we believe in Jesus, but we are not living our intended purpose, which is to be the light of the world. And there are all kinds of reasons for that. I get it. There are all kinds of reasons that we shy away from living this life for which we were created. Some of us are embarrassed or ashamed of our own stories. In order to talk about God's redemption, I would first have to tell people who I am and what I did and how I ruined my life or how I ruined the life of people that I love. My life is a mess. I'm not a good example of a Christ follower, and so I'll just keep my mouth shut. I've mentioned here before that I, I sometimes don't like to tell people what I do because the moment I tell them what I do, they, they suddenly feel like they can't be themselves and they get all squirmy and act weird and they apologize for swearing and they suddenly feel they need to tell me the last time they went to church. <laughs> sometimes we shy away from telling people about Jesus because we don't want to be associated with the general population's understanding of church people or particularly evangelicals, right? It's like you want to wear a sign that says, like, yes, I love Jesus, but no, I did or did not vote for him. I do or do not support this. We have allowed evangelicalism to be swallowed up by politics in this country, and so sometimes we don't want to talk about Jesus because we don't want to be associated with other people's impression of who they think we are. Sometimes we don't want to start conversations about Jesus because we're super self-conscious about what we know and particularly about what we don't know. Like we're scared that if we start a conversation talking about God, that somebody's going to ask us a question about the Bible. And we're not going to know the answer to the question about the Bible, and then we're going to be mortified because we're a Bible person, we're a church person, and so we just don't start the conversation at all, right? Right? And sometimes we don't want to go there because the church has put this kind of pressure on us that it's somehow our job, our responsibility to save people. And that pressure is just so great, we don't want to go there. I'm sure there are other kinds of reasons that we avoid talking to people about Jesus, but here's the thing. I also think that we have an idea in our minds of what we're supposed to be doing versus what Jesus is really calling us to do when it comes to being the light of the world. Those who have been around the church for a really long time, I think, often have this impression that we're supposed to have some kind of script memorized that starts with, hi, my name is Jen, let me tell you about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that we're supposed to have the Bible memorized from cover to cover and that we're supposed to be able to recite it back to people and that we're supposed to know all of the answers to the questions like why do bad things happen to good people and do dogs go to heaven? And we're supposed to be able to walk people through the sinner's prayer and lead them to Jesus and we're supposed to do that with every single human being in our life and that's what it means to be the light of the world. Now obviously I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I want to see all of us in scripture. I want to see all of us in a position where we're able to pray for somebody who needs prayer, especially somebody who's wanting to know Jesus. But I don't think we have this whole thing right. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we started this series and we talked about some of the things that light does for us in this life? We talked about a lighthouse and how a lighthouse brings guidance to those who might be lost in the dark. We said that when we turn on a flashlight in the woods, that it doesn't tell you where to go, it just shows you what's around you. 
We said that when little kids go to bed at night, they usually ask to leave a light on because it brings them comfort. And so as I was thinking about this this week, I just, I couldn't help but wonder what the world would think of Christians if we lived into our calling to be light instead of whatever it is that we have found ourselves doing in this world. Have you ever been a lighthouse for somebody? A friend or a family member? Lighthouses don't move around. They don't insert themselves into every single dark space. They're planted where they are, and they steadily shine a consistent light to guide people back home. What if instead of over-functioning for our kids or our spouse or our friends or trying to insert ourselves and our opinions into other people's lives, whether we are asked to or not, what if instead we continue to be a steady, consistent presence in the lives of the people around us, loving them no matter how much they screw up, steadily and without judgment, being the light that shows them how to get home when they are ready? What if instead of pointing out all of the things that they're doing that they should be afraid of, instead of reminding them of all that is scary in their life, because little hint, they already know, what if instead of that we acted as the light that brings them comfort? What if we just sat with them when they asked us to? Not to give an opinion, but just to comfort them through the night? What if the truth that we are supposed to expose isn't what other people are or are not doing, but what God has done in us. I think that's why Jesus cautions us in this passage not to hide our light under a basket or a bowl. What good does it do hidden? Well, what good does the story of your transformation in and because of Jesus Christ do if you're not willing to share it with the people who need to hear it most? How will people know that they can count on your light when they are scared or lost if they have never seen your light? If I need someone to show me the way home, I need someone who has been home before. If I need someone to provide comfort in the darkness, I need someone who isn't going to bring me more darkness. If I need someone to help me expose and discern the truth, I need someone who lives in the light. How do I know that you are in the light if you're hiding it from me because you don't want to have that awkward conversation? How do I know that God helps you discern difficult situations if you've never told me about a time when God has done that for you? How do I know that you have experienced God getting you out of darkness if you have never been willing to share that part of your life with me? So I guess it means that my question for this morning is this. Do the people in your life know that they can come to you when they need light? Whether it's guidance or to be rescued or to be comforted or to be shown the way home, do the people in your life know that you are the light of the world? Do your coworkers know? Does your boss know? Do your neighbors or your bowling or your golf or your fantasy football team, do they know? And for those of us who have been around the church for a while, my question for us is this. Do you live your life with such intention that you are purposefully around people who still need the light of Christ? Or is your only sphere of influence people who already know Jesus? 
We need to be around each other for encouragement, for accountability, for community, but if we are around each other exclusively, we are missing the mark. We are not living our intended purpose for our lives. There's a story about two young people who were walking along a path in the Catskill Mountains, and their conversation turned to a mutual acquaintance, and the young man says, she has what I would call a radiant personality. That's right, agreed the other person. How do you account for that? And they walked along for a few moments, and then pointing across the river, he said, do you see that old castle? When I was a small boy, my playmates and I loved to sit on the bank and look across at that old castle. And we could tell what was going on there by the number of lights that were burning. He said, if, if only the family were present, then just a few lights would be seen. When guests were entertained, there would be many lights and the palace would be truly beautiful. He said, once a member of the royal family visited there and you should have seen the lights I have seldom seen such brilliance. The young couple's discussion wandered back to their acquaintance. I think the only way her radiant personality can be explained is that she is constantly entertaining a royal guest. So clearly you know where I'm going with that. As those who follow Jesus, we are constantly entertaining a royal guest, so to speak. Can you imagine if the people in your life trying to figure out a way to describe you came up with that analogy? That is the goal. Not for our glory, but for his. Not that our name would be magnified, but that he would be. Not that our name would be made great, but that his name would be made great. We don't need to waste our energy questioning our purpose in this life. Because whether you're a teacher or a tech person, a janitor or a journalist, a factory worker or a farmer, our purpose is still the same. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that others may see your good deeds. For what? To glorify our Father in heaven. The way that you exist in this world matters. The way that you speak and act and engage in this world matters. How you navigate pain and loss and difficulty matters. How you celebrate matters. When others see you or hear you or engage with you, do they see you or do they see Jesus? My sister-in-law always jokes that she's solar-powered because she loves the sun and she falls asleep as soon as it gets dark. Like she needs the sun to fill her up each day. I know this is a little cheesy, but so do we. We bask in the sun, S-U-N, and we get tan. We bask in the sun, S-O-N, and we get all the characteristics of Christ. That our lives would reflect him. To live out the purpose for which we have been called. You, my friends, are the light of the world. Let's pray. God, I know that some of us sitting here this morning don't feel like the light of the world. Some of us this morning don't feel like that could possibly be our our purpose. Our lives feel messed up. We feel like we're not on track. Some of us feel that way and we're brand new to the church and some of us feel that way and we've been sitting in this particular church for 40 years. We just feel far from you. We're questioning our existence and we're questioning our purpose. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would speak your words of truth to us. 
that whatever it is we do for a living or, not, or, or don't do for a living, whether we're working right now or retired or whatever it is, Lord, that's not just our purpose. Our purpose is to be the light of the world. We are your plan A and your only plan. God, we know that this world is filled with lots of darkness. We know that there's lots of hard stuff going on. How are people going to know about your truth, about your grace, about your mercy, about your saving love? Through us, we are the light of the world. And so God, may we stay so connected to you that we reflect you in all ways. We pray these things in your holy name.